Damn, son, where'd you find this? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode six of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, aka Tony Playboy, aka Gases Burner Boys, aka Michael Thomas with the left hand. And I'm joined here by one of my best friends, Demarcus, aka Nigga Marcus. AKA last in our fantasy league. No, no. Look, I've had a series of unfortunate breaks, including uh, McCaffrey's ankle. And once he gets back, I'll be fine. I'm coming back. I haven't lost a single fantasy game all year. You barely beat me. But I beat your ass, right, nigga? <laughs> you said I beat your ass hard enough to work this What's up? You did not. It's close without my best players. <laughs> All right. How are you doing today, DeMarcus? I, I'm praying for Dak. That's, that's what's going on. Damn. All right. Let's start the show heavy then, nigga. Um, how do you feel about LeBron getting his fourth chip? Expect it. But I think no matter what happens, it'll always have an asterisk. Between the bubble shit. And the fact that they didn't really get pushed at all in the playoffs. I think it always remembered as the bubble championship. Wow. And you got players like Scottie Pippen who are already like the bubble is easier. Okay. Wow. That took me back. Did you hear Bradley Beal just bought a house in L.A.? It's L.A. Everyone wants to live there. I mean, he want to play there. Right. That's what they said when Brock got that house. Listen, that ain't have nothing to do with it. Okay. Okay. Anyway, we have an exciting show for you today featuring a story about an NFL receiver scamming PPP loans. What this injury means for Dak Prescott's future with the Cowboys, our COVID crisis NFL update and our top five NFL teams heading into week six. Welcome to our tea off. This is how we like to start off our show. We like to spill some tea on some of the crazy things our favorite athletes get into. This week, we have a story about former NFL wide receiver Josh Bellamy. Now, Josh Bellamy did, in fact, play for the Chicago Bears from 2014 to 2018. He played from 2012 to 2014 for the Chiefs, Chargers, and the team formerly known as the Washington Redskins. However, in 2019, he signed for the with the Jets. He was on the Jets this season. This isn't the dude that retired and is trying to maintain a lifestyle. This is a guy that was still in the NFL, signed a two-year, five-million contract, was in the second year of that contract until he was released by the team on September 8th of this year. Why, you may ask? Well, on September 10th, funniest part is the Jets say they had 
No idea that this was coming, DeMarcus. No idea. On September 10th of this year, the Department of Justice charged Josh Bellamy and nine other people for scamming the Paycheck Protection Program loans, the PPP loans. Now, I got to ask you, DeMarcus, have you been approached by anybody about scamming PPP loans during the pandemic? I can't tell a lie. Yes, I have been. Um, <laughs> seen lots of, you know, posts on Instagram stories and Facebook stories. And, no, I got 50000 coming in. You want in on this money? And I'm like, uh, I'm good. It might come with some jail time. I can't go to jail. Yeah, I got text messages said telling me that everybody I know is doing it. I'm about to get on it. You got to get on it, too. Man, the government is coming for all y'all niggas. Now, look, he was charged for wire fraud, bank fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud and bank fraud in a federal criminal complaint filed, of course, in Florida. Why is it always these Florida niggas, man? It's Florida. And some people are going to hate me for this, but you know, you know where you're from. You know what it's like. <laughs> and I don't mean Miami. Every part every part of every other part of Florida. Miami's cool. Florida man scams PPP loans and spends it on Gucci. That could easily be the headline for this story. Does Gucci now, sell alligator skin? Then I would really believe it. <laughs> now look, there was a talent company ran by an associate of Josh Bellamy in the name of Clear Vision Music Group and Entertainment LLC, which in combination with this group and Bellamy's group and the other eight people that were charged, they applied for over $24 million in PPP loans. They got approved for $17.4 million. And now the funniest part is this business is not even Better Business Bureau accredited. And these niggas got tens of millions of dollars in PPP loans. And 1.2 million of the 17 went directly to Bellamy for his company Drip Entertainment LLC. And he spent the money he got on luxury goods from Dior, Gucci, jewelers. He went to the Hard Rock Casino, dropped a couple bands, tens of thousands of bands. And then, you know, like a solid nigga would, he then tried to get his family and all his homeboys in on this scam. Because, you know, that's what real friends are for. Okay, this is going to sound wild. I do think Josh is wrong. But I got to blame the Republicans. This is entrapment. They should have never approved these loans. They pushed out that program and the coronavirus relief package. Gave them to anybody. Was no one checking? Like, yeah, he wrong. But the system should have caught this well before he got close to 20 million or whoever this dude was. Look, his company was Drip Entertainment LLC. He had to get the loan to get the drip, nigga. Like, come on. Okay. Is he wrong for doing this? Yeah, I don't disagree. He obviously committed bank fraud and wire fraud and all of that. 
But I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, but I might argue entrapment. I'm like, listen, it's the government fault. He should have never got this money. Y'all should have denied him these loans. Speaking of his lawyer, his lawyer said, I hope the public gives Bellamy the benefit of the doubt. We all know all too often professional athletes are taken advantage of by people acting on their behalf as agents and advisors. Who this nigga think he fooling? So he's going for the no link. He's like, nah, he didn't know anything about this. Isn't he on camera at like Dior spinning racks? Nigga, I was taking advantage of spending (laughs) 60K in a Gucci store, nigga. Which is not that hard to do. (laughs) I was taking advantage of running up a check at the Hard Rock Casino. I wonder what they'll say at trial. (laughs) This is going to trial. If this is what his lawyer's saying, they're going to trial. Yo. (laughs) Now, I always tell you, be careful who you do your dirt with because one of these 10 niggas was snitching. The DOJ said that someone is now cooperating with the criminal investigation to prepare and submit the falsified documents. They got a snitch. Well, actually, it's a rat. 21 Savage cleared this shit up recently. Snitches and rats. Snitches and rats. This was a rat. <laughs> and a rat is a fucking rat. Mm. Look, they got four receipts. Whoever snitched kept the fucking books and was ready to go. They had the order in which these companies applied for their loans when they got shit set up together. Look, they had the IRS of Miami, the Cincinnati field office, the FBI, Miami, and Cleveland field offices all working together to catch these 10 niggas. Research. <laughs> I swear. Damn, that's a lot of evidence. I don't know what his lawyer's going to do about that. Yo, my nigga is done for. <laughs> hey, but at least in this instance, he got real money, not a fake Richard Milley. That is true. He was at least scamming for real bread. He got over a milli out here scamming. He should have got some more loans, 10, 15 million. Just ran off. Leave the country. Yo, none of this would have ever happened if Trump just gave us the second stimulus checks. You right. Blame the Republicans. <laughs> An injury that was heard all around the NFL world this past Sunday. Dak Prescott playing on the franchise tag this year suffered a compound fracture ankle break. Prayers up. DeMarcus, where's your head at right now? Do I feel for Dak? Absolutely. But I do want to make it known. I don't think this is the... This injury didn't happen because of the franchise tag. Now, people will probably think that I would be up in arms about this, that I'd be mad about the tag because I'm a Cowboys fan and I root for Dak. But there were a lot of other issues that prevented the Cowboys or stopped the Cowboys from re-signing Dak that are not the franchise tag. And although I think you're going to call for abolishing the tag, I think that's a little extreme. I'm not sure that abolishing the tag fixes this problem. 
We'll see. Okay. Okay. If you don't think we should abolish the tag, why do you think the tag is good? So that's not where I was intending to go with this. I don't really want to defend the tag as good. I just want to be like status quo is not that bad. But the status quo is the tag, my nigga. It's not that bad. I'm not going to say it's good. I think that there are bigger problems in the league. I think the hard cap is more of a problem that forces more teams to use the tag. For example, the Cowboys went on a signing spree in the year before Dak's contract was up. They gave Zeke his money. They gave Jalen Smith his money. They paid demarcus lawrence they signed all kind of people as free agents to fill out the roster and arguably Dak should have got paid before all of them they knew that he was a franchise quarterback at the end of 2016 hmm. the reason that they didn't pay him is more of a dispute in a couple of areas one them not signing him early enough meant they could not spread out his signing bonus over more years so they wanted to hmm. add more years onto the contract so they wanted a five-year deal. Dak was like, nah, I'm good. I want a four-year deal so I can have another chance to hit free agency before I'm 30 and get another big deal. That's the issue here. So the issue is the Cowboys had Dak at an advantageous contract knowing that they needed to re-sign him long-term. And instead of starting to pay him his value early, they waited to the end of his contract. Or I'll put it this way, really. The franchise tag issue is a microcosm of a larger issue in the league, which is the hard cap. I think the hard cap actually screws players much more than the franchise tag does. So I think the hard cap is probably good because it's necessary to balance competition Bullshit. throughout the league. Bullshit. Why? There is never going to be balance. It's never going to happen. There are always going to be bad teams. There are some teams that we know are always bad and never in the mix. The but Lions, the Jets. Money. Yes, it is. The NFL put that in place to smooth it out, to ensure that every team ha had equal access to being able to pay players and that certain teams couldn't be like the Yankees in the MLB and just pay out the ass. Exactly. But the Yankees are still bad even when they pay out the ass sometimes. Having a hard cap does not prevent some teams from being bad or them getting good soon. Look at the Browns, the Lions, the Jets. We've had well, the hard salary cap for so long, and for the most of that time, they've not been good. Here's what you're not getting about this. Yes, there will always be teams that are bad in a hard cap salary league. But that is just because they are bad, poorly run, poorly owned, poorly coached, poor culture. Let me finish because I see you fixing your lips, nigga. However, what the hard cap does, it allows a Tennessee Titans to be good. It allows a smaller market team to be good. When they line up the really good coach, strong organizational infrastructure, having a culture, etc. It doesn't allow a team to 
overpay a ton of people and then water down the ability for competition thereon. But what I think you're missing is the teams that have those things, a good culture, a good infrastructure, good coach. They also draft well and convince those players to stay absent of money. You have players like Tom Brady who were not getting paid well for many, many years, but stayed because of the organization. You have guys like Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson who got drafted into good organizations and money was not always at the top of the list. And oftentimes their skill position slash supporting cast suffered when they eventually did get paid. Hard salary cap. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Because you want to pay Aaron Rodgers so much money, you cannot surround him with the best talent. That is good. Because the team that wants to take the rookie quarterback money, mid-level quarterback money, can then surround that quarterback with everything. Why do you think Dak has looked as good as he has so far? So I think what you're missing is that when we have a soft cap, I'm not calling for no cap, just a soft cap like the NBA, I think everyone eats. So it's not that, oh, yeah, this team is going to be good or bad. The argument I'm making is the team being good or bad has a lot more to do with the structure of the team and not how much they can play. I think having a soft cap will allow more players to get big money. And that's overall what I am for. I think the franchise tag is the thing people focus on. And I think the hard cap is the bigger issue. So. I'll say this. I'll add this. The reason that the Cowboys were hesitant to pay Dak what he wanted was because in the past, when Jerry Jones and the Cowboys have handed out these big contracts and they didn't work out, they were screwed on the cap. In a world of the soft cap, you are a little bit more free willing to say, hey, let me take this risk. Hey, let me pay this guy. Because if it doesn't work out, you're not screwed for years. In the case of the hard cap, that's where you're at. So. This is where I have several issues with that. Risk. Risk is the important part. The reason why the franchise tag is bad is because it allows the team to bet against you and then put all of the risk on the player and none of the risk on the team. That's the problem. I think you're wrong. Spreading the risk. Let me finish. Spreading the risk. The second thing... And the second thing is what I think is very important. Most NFL contracts are not fully guaranteed. You can give a player a contract and still cut and run a little bit later. It still costs you some money. You still take some risk, but not all of it. Think Todd Curley. I think what you're missing is a lot of players and agents use the franchise tag money to structure contracts. And having it has allowed many of them to drive up the price of what players make. So, for example, when they look at the franchise tag, you can do the exclusive tag for, I think, up to two years in a row on the same player. Many agents take that two-year cap hit number and structure the first two years of the contract very similar to that, but in a way that helps the teams more. So, overall, having the tag is actually, I would argue, helped players get paid more money at the big positions that matter. The way you get the tag number, though, is the top five players paid at your position. So you do not need the tag to get that number. 
but let's talk about it. Two types of franchise tags. Exclusive franchise tag, non-exclusive franchise tag. I think we should still have the non-exclusive franchise tag, just not the exclusive franchise tag. The difference between these two things is actually really similar to NBA restricted free agent versus free agent. The non-exclusive franchise tag gives a team the first right of refusal, which means you can talk to other teams, you can find your value, you can see how much the market is willing to pay you, and then your team gets the ability to either match that and keep you or let you go and get compensatory first round picks. That solves most of the reason why you think you need a tag. But the exclusive tag is terrible because it prevents you from being able to negotiate with other teams, have your leverage, and allow player mobility and a control of their situation. Dak's situation here was actually really precarious because none of Dak's money after this year is guaranteed. Let's say Andy Dalton does really good. Cowboys turn around, make the playoffs. Then what? Does he still have the same leverage to make the money he had before? Let's say the Cowboys do really fucking terrible, like they have all season long. And next thing you know, they're in the tanking for Trevor race. No, I think you're wrong. I think you're absolutely wrong on this. You tell me on so many issues. Steven and Jerry Jones won't take Trevor Lawrence. The first, they can't be bad enough to get that draft pick. First off, <laughs> secondly, I think you're wrong about how restricted free agency would work in the NFL. Number one, the NFL is not going to give out first round compensatory picks. When you get compensatory draft picks, they don't start until the late third round. And no, those no, no. picks, this is this is explicitly the way the non-exclusive franchise tag already works no 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 you're never going to get a compensatory first round draft pick if a player leaves that's never going to happen it's always at least in the third round so you're never going to get your value back in that way i would actually argue that in this instance the uh, franchise tag allows those small market teams you want to compete to maintain their talent better than the nba's current model with the restrictive free agency and the supermax no the difference is they can tag you with the non-exclusive the way they can tag you with the exclusive franchise tag. It means that functionally, you are always a restricted free agent, never a free agent the way that now you can functionally never be a free agent a la that. Now, you know what the real problem is? You argued that In that situation, the team would have the first right of refusal. They could pay whatever the offer sheet was. But with the hard cap, they can't do that. Sometimes the teams offer them. able to leave and get paid your work. No, no, no. What I'm saying is maybe sure have some form of restricted free agency in the NFL, but it will never work the same way because of the hard cap. If you are Russell Wilson and you want to stay with the Seahawks, but they franchise tag you and then the Jaguars offer you Patrick Mahomes money and they literally can't match it. There's no way they can keep you unless you take less money. Okay, 
this is the thing. I don't really care about hard cap v soft cap. But I think it makes a difference. I, it can make a difference. But the most important thing is being able to have the ability to move and not be locked to a team. So what are you more about? Player mobility or parity? Because you're making arguments for both and they're incongruent with one another. Well, I think first off, I am always for player mobility. I think that the parity argument is about hard cap v soft cap. Exactly. Then why aren't you for That's soft fine. cap? I don't think the soft cap helps parity. Okay, I just explained how I think it can, but whatever. Yeah, but I think the hard cap helps parity as well. I don't think we're going to agree on this, but I think you're just wrong. The franchise tag is not the biggest issue. It's the cap. Did you know that only 50% of players that have been franchise tagged ever extended a long-term contract? Cherry pick statistic. A lot of those are running backs who people know are not going to be worth much on the open market because of their usage rates. let them go to the open market. But I'm saying, I don't think it would make that big of a difference. If you know it. Let the I would, niggas go. I would love to have that stat without the running backs included. Because I think running backs are a particular position in the NFL that have it a certain way with or without the franchise yes, tag. they're getting fucked, which is why. Oh, I'm, I'm not arguing running backs aren't getting fucked. Player mobility comes first. Like, think about it. Player mobility will increase how much players can get paid. No, it can't. It, it's it, literally a hard cap. It's a hard cap. I'm not saying how much a total team's roster is, but how much an individual player's bargaining power is to get paid. Sure, but what I'm making the argument is it's a zero-sum game right now with the it hard is. cap. It always is. If, if there's a soft cap, it's not. It's no longer a zero-sum game. Players overall get paid more money and would have the same amount of mobility they do now, which I think is the best of both worlds and therefore the more likely solution to that problem. I don't think the NFL is going to want to negotiate away the franchise tag. Yes, because obviously the owners want to be able to put all the risk on the players, stop player mobility, keep more control. Yes, obviously, if you got to make functional indentured servants, you would not want to negotiate away that ability. That argument is extreme. Indentured servants don't get paid $35 million. Whatever. Maybe you don't have the choice in where you work, but you get a lot of money. Listen, I don't think we're going to agree, but I would love to hear from our fans on Instagram and Twitter about this. Are you team soft cap or are you team abolish the franchise tag? Free at last, oh, free at last. Thank God Almighty, he is free at last. The Jets have recently released Lev Bell after not being able to even trade him away for his seventh round pick. What are your thoughts, Demarcus? It's real simple here. And there are going to be people who love this. It's all about the Kansas City Chiefs. That is the best possible landing spot for Lev Bell at this point in his career. I think going there, number one, he has a great head coach in Andy Reid who's going to know how to utilize him both in the run game and the pass game. 
He has a great quarterback, so the run game is going to see wide open lanes. He's going to get chances in the red zone, and they score a lot of points, so he's going to get his chances to touch the ball. We've seen what Andy Reid has done for other great running backs like Kareem Hunt, Darren Sproles, Brian Westbrook, etc. He knows how to use them in the run game, the screen game, the pass game. He could split carries with um, Edward Tolaire, who's the rookie first round running back in Kansas City, who has been solid, but not great in the red zone. And that patient running style of Le'Veon Bell behind that offensive line would lead to more touchdowns, which is what no one wants to see from the Chiefs. But I want to see it. And I think it's the perfect fit for him, both because it also gives him a legitimate shot to win a championship. I know what you're going to say about this, and your team has no shot to win the championship. Let's not pretend. I mean, wow, Demarcus! It's not like your team is well. well it's not about my, it's not about my Cowboys. I this is about keep, Le'Veon Bell and what's best for him. Look, until y'all win your second game, keep on. You're so deflecting. You're deflecting. You're deflecting so much. Answer the argument. Here we are. I'm going to tell you. The fly route for Le'Veon Bell is the Chicago Bears. Here's where we're at. He is a running back that wants to reestablish his name in the NFL and the fact that he is skilled. The time he spent on the Jets greatly devalued his stock and it has hurt him. While he would win in Kansas City, I agree. I don't think his role in the offense will be that big. Chicago, on the other hand, they've recently lost to Reed Cohen. They need a pass catching back. David Montgomery is not that every down back. Yes, Andy Reid is great with the screens, etc. But who's in Chicago? Oh, Andy Reid disciple. Matt Nagy, grading the schemes, grading the screen passing, will also use Le'Veon Bell as a runner and a passer. And he gets to Chicago, and he actually might be the third best receiver on the team. He's going to get reps. He's going to get 12 possible carries a game, if not more, six-plus targets a game, if not more. He wants to be a larger part of an offense, especially after those two years he spent with the Jets. If you're thinking win now, shit, I tell him to go to like the Patriots or like everybody else did that wanted to win now, go to the Bucks. But the most important reason why I think the fly route for Lev Bell is Chicago is this man's all about his money. We've seen it. That's the reason why he left the Steelers. That's the reason why he chose the Jets. The Chiefs don't got the cap space for it. We still have $10 million You're in Chicago. Wrong. Let me tell you why. Because of the way his contract is structured with the Jets, the Jets are on the hook to pay him over $6 million. And anyone can sign him for the league minimum, and he'd get the same amount of money from the Jets. Cap is I not going to matter here. Anybody can sign him for the league minimum but they can also sign him for more than the league minimum. Am I correct? But it's not necessary. It's not necessary. So if he has multiple suitors, which we think he will, 
money may then start to matter. Well, here's the real question. Do you think at this point in his career as a 30-something running back that making money and getting lots of touches is what's important? Or essentially, do you think he wants $10 million and 20 carries a game or his $7 million and 12 touches a game and a legit chance to win a ring? Money has always been important to him at this right. point. And he's he signed money with from the, the Jets. He's made he money from that. He was gonna okay, win. but right now he's 30 something. He's made a bunch of money from franchise he tag was with the Steelers. When he signed with the Jets. Listen, listen. He's made a lot of money from franchise tag with the Steelers. He's made his upfront money with the Jets. Now got released. Does he still want to win a championship or does he just want a lot of touches? Because I think he can still get a good amount of touches. But also at this point, he was injured, what is it, a year ago? Has not always been 100% healthy anywhere he's been for a whole season, really, except for maybe one year. So do you want 12 touches a game, a chance to still be good and make your $6 million anyways? With a chance to win a chip or go play in the cold-ass Chicago? So first off, he will still be on a good team in Chicago. But he's not going to have a chance to win a championship. You don't know that. I do know that. There is no way in hell the Bears are winning a championship this year. DeMarcus, you think the Cowboys have a chance? My Cowboys have nothing to do with this right now. Defend your Bears. Defend your... They're your Bears. I agree. I think we are very good. You were arguing for Trubisky. better. No, I was making jokes about Money oh Mitch. My God. I called this oh nigga God. Money Mitch, listen, DeMarcus. Listen. I called him Money listen, Mitch. You are once again distracting from the issue at hand. Can your oh. Bears have a decent chance to win a championship? And if the answer is yes, do you think it's the same chance as the Chiefs have to repeat? It doesn't have to be the same chance. What the are their Chiefs chances? Might not even what be are their interested chances? In do you think they have a legitimate shot? At the championship? Yes. Sure. Are they beating the Seahawks in the playoffs? The thing about the NFL. Are they beating the Packers in the playoffs? The thing about the NFL is anything can happen. It's one game. I, if I told they gotta you win the four Titans to win a championship. would have beat the Ravens last year, you would have laughed and said, no, obviously not. I'm yes, talking about Super Bowl. Down, I'm talking no, about Super Bowl. You, you have still something. not made an argument for why Chicago is going to win. I've asked you some straight up questions. Can they beat these teams on the path to the Super Bowl yeah. in the NFC playoffs? And I told and you can, yes. You, they, you think nigga, they can beat the Packers yes, and the Seahawks? Anything can happen in no. an individual I think you're game, wrong. Nigga. And I think the chance of the okay. Chiefs winning is much higher than the Bears. And I don't think any sure. sane person would argue otherwise. Every fucking Vegas odd maker, nigga, also agrees with me. Vegas has the odds for him going to the Bears at three to one, better than any other team. So it's not like I'm just pulling shit out of my ass, Demarcus. I'm not acting like you are, but we don't live in Vegas and neither is the world. We're going to see what happens with this probably this week, maybe even before this episode is out. But I think you're wrong. We are week six of the NFL season, and this is the point where we start to see who are the contenders and who are the pretenders. DeMarcus, who are your top five teams in the NFL right now? Well, I'll start with number five. I'm going to hold some suspense. It's the Titans. Uh, We saw them play, what was that, Tuesday night against the Bills, and they tapped that. It wasn't close. 
The Bills wanted no part of Derrick Henry. Got some great memes out of it. No one wants to tackle that man. And as it gets colder in the season, they're not going to want to tackle him anymore. The Titans are a top five team. They should make it pretty deep into the AFC playoffs. And I think they're going to be real good. Now, at number four, I have the Packers. Now, they've been playing well. I'm not sure they can keep it up. For one reason, or two reasons, really. The first is, I think the Packers are soft. When they play a team like the Titans or the Ravens, I don't think their defense is going to hang in there. We saw them play against the 49ers twice last year, including the NFC Championship game. And the 49ers are a team that wants to hit you in the mouth, and the Packers don't like being hit in the mouth. The other thing is, of course, that I don't think I can name three of Aaron Rodgers' receivers without some help from Google at this point in the season. I mean, you know, we got Devontae Adams, and maybe I get to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, but after that, I got to look at the depth chart. Lazard? He's hurt right now. He's on IR. Yeah. Or rather, three receivers who are playing for him right now or the rest of the season. Tanyan, he put up like a 34-point fantasy week last week. Who? Niggas know his name. Who? He's not even on the depth chart. Yes, Robert Tanyan, tight end. Oh, you tight, tight in, tight in. Sure, Look, whatever. Kelsey, Andrews, Waller. Tight ends are just receivers now. Listen, he doesn't have great skill position help when he plays against the teams like the Seahawks, like the Ravens, like the Chiefs who score points. He's going to have a hard time keeping up with these receivers. It's a really easy question. Would you rather have Russell Wilson's weapons or Aaron Rodgers. This is an easy question. It's obviously Russell Wilson's weapons. And I think that's why the Packers will stay at number four and likely drop once we get to other parts of the season where they won't be able to throw the ball as efficiently. Now, coming in at number three, I have the Ravens. Now, they've dropped a little bit for me after that tough, tough loss to the Chiefs a couple weeks ago because Lamar Jackson just looked bad. I don't think he threw 400 yards. He could do nothing against that defense. The game, the the score was closer than the game actually was. If you watch the game, the Ravens just have not figured out how to beat the Chiefs. They're a clear kind of second-class citizen in the AFC until they get over that hump, which could happen in the playoffs. I don't think they're going to win a championship. At number two, I have Russ and the Seahawks. And yes, it's Russ and the Seahawks because Russ is doing dirty things every week. Um, He is carrying this team on offense. They don't have a great run game. He makes magic happen every time he steps on the field. And if you were to argue that his first couple of years in the league when they were really good, had Legion of Boom, that he wasn't that big of a deal. I think what he's doing on the field right now disputes every bit of you trying to downplay what he does. He's a fantastic quarterback. He should be in in the conversation for an MVP even though he probably won't get one. And I have them as our number two team or my number two team. And then at number one, I have the reigning Super Bowl champion hailing from Kansas City, Chiefs Kingdom. Although they lost, look, it wasn't that bad. Okay, I watched the game. I watched the majority of the game. Everybody has a bad week. They could still go 14 and two, 15 and one. They have Patrick Mahomes. They're, they're, the chance of them losing two more games this season is real low for me. Number one in my, on my list. Well, who you got? All right, all right. 
We 100% agree on Team 5. Team 5 is actively the Titans. The Titans are amazing. They're underrated. People are not giving them the respect that they deserve right now. And that's going to be a big thing for them. However, as we start to creep up, we start to see some differences, DeMarcus. The first off, at number four, I have the Ravens. I have the Ravens in number four. This team is not as effective running the ball as they were last year, even though they're still very good at it. They are regressing in the passing game. And their defense is actually a little bit worse, but has gotten some really big boosts by playing some bad teams so far this year. So I think this team is good. I think this team is going to get better. But right now I have them at four. Now, number three, I have the Packers. You are underrating Aaron Rodgers. In the second year of the Matt LaFleur system, he looks unstoppable. This is not the same team from last year. A year in NFL terms can be a lifetime. This is the team that has bolstered their offensive line, bolstered their run game, and these receivers whose names you don't know, DeMarcus, are only getting better and more comfortable with Aaron Rodgers. Not to mention, they've smoked the entire fucking league without Devontae Adams. Hmm? Okay. I got, I got something for you. I got something for you. I got something for you. You know, ain't even playing. I got something for you. Packers and Bucks this weekend. Got Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. You taking the Packers? Oh, I'm taking the Packers. I don't even like the Bucks. I think the Bucks are bad, but I'll take the Bucks. You think the Bucks are going to beat the Packers? I think this is the marquee matchup of the week by far. The old man is going to lose to the older man, and that's okay. (laughs) <laughs> one and two I have the Chiefs at two the past couple weeks the Chiefs are, are not the infallible team that everybody wants to think they are we watched the Patriots put on a defensive clinic on how to stop Mahomes if Cam Newton played that game definitively the Patriots would have won I can say that right now They contained Patrick Mahomes. They didn't let him scramble a bunch. They gave him a clean pocket, and that made him way more predictable. We saw the Chargers give him some trouble, too. He had a pretty even duel with Justin Herbert, and if it wasn't for some pretty bad conservative play calling by Anthony Lynn, they could have lost that game, too. And then they lose to the Raiders. He got outdoored by Derek Carr. Am I lying? Just finish. Oh, now I'm just about to finish. So, I'm gonna let number you one, the Seattle Seahawks. Let Russ Cook, undeniably ahead in the MVP race right now. This man is unstoppable. Him and DK Metcalf are a problem. The synergy they have... When a play gets busted open, the way that they find each other. This is a team that has a really strong run game with Carson being healthy. Unstoppable is Russell Wilson. And while their defense is bad, 
they are willing to just outscore teams. And when Jamal Adams gets healthy again, we saw what he had their defense doing a little bit in those first two weeks. I think he's going to plug up that hole. And I don't think anybody is going to be able to stop Russell Wilson. So where I think you're wrong is the Chiefs are, you're underrating you're underrating them right now. So I heard something a couple weeks ago that was pretty interesting. And that was that Patrick Mahomes did not know how to read defenses until about midway through last year. And that should scare the hell out of every NFL defense in the league. Yeah, sure. He's come down to earth a little bit the past couple of weeks against Bill Belichick and the Patriots, who's a known defensive genius. And he, though lost to the Raiders, uh, still had a good game overall. They put up a lot of points and it was more the Chiefs defense that was a problem in that one. So, and sometimes you get a little unlucky. You're not going to score, outscore everybody ever is every single week. So I think the Chiefs are number one until proven otherwise. I would love to see a Chiefs Seahawks Super Bowl. That'd be great. Uh, but right now I'm going to stick with the Chiefs over the Seahawks and we'll see how they do this weekend. Until there is an L. In Seattle's win column, I can't put a team above them right now. However, my honorable mention for sixth team in the league is the Patriots. Even though they're two and two, is the Patriots that one loss to Russ, best team in the league according to moi, and their second loss, Cam didn't even play, but we get him back this week, and when he was on that team. They looked fantastic. Welcome to our COVID and concussion segment. This is where we want to give you all an update on how the NFL is handling the current COVID crisis. All right, the first update I want to give everybody is that the NFL has decided to not punish the Tennessee Titans. For those of you who do not know, the Titans were caught at Montgomery Bell Academy, which a lot of our listeners will be familiar with, practicing after their facility had been shut down for a COVID outbreak. They were all pretty explicitly by the NFL banned from having team gatherings outside of the facility in general, but especially In the case of an outbreak, Goodell says, this is not about discipline. This is about making sure we're keeping our personnel safe. And that has been our focus the entire time. What do you think about that, DeMarcus? So two thoughts. The first is, in the case of Montgomery Bell Academy, I think that's really problematic. I know I heard some cases of COVID at that school within their construction workers who were working on campus. They had some of the worst COVID outbreaks back in the spring with that group of people. So I'm not sure if the construction is still going on there, but if it is, there's also another chance that players were exposed to COVID if they interacted with any of the construction workers on that campus so far. The second thing is there has to be punishment and there has to be more push for regulations, not just when players are in the facilities or outside the facility, but also at home. Basic things like social distancing on the sideline, making sure when people are in the facility, they always are social distancing and wearing masks. 
I think will do a lot more to help prevent future outbreaks in the NFL than just not gathering outside of um, the facility or whatever the regulated times are. Our second update is Killer Cam is back, baby. Patriots back on top. (laughs) The second is the Bills have had this week's game rescheduled. They were originally supposed to play this Tuesday against the Titans and then play again on Thursday, which is functionally a back-to-back game. They talked about how they had to basically prep two games at the same time because of the quick turnaround. Do you think that's had anything to do with their poor performance on Tuesday? It certainly could have. I think, you know, we talked about last week how the NFL needs to do a better job of planning long term for this crisis and that they need to add more weeks to the season in order to allow for all of these rescheduling of games. Other morning, I was getting ready for work, listening to the Slow Week podcast from The Ringer. And he's like, oh, they need 18 or 19 weeks to, to make this work. And I'm just like, you're wrong. That's not enough weeks. They're going to, there have been outbreaks that led to rescheduling. There will be more outbreaks. There will be more severe outbreaks. I think the NFL season needs to look more like 20, 21, 22 weeks long with the Super Bowl possibly happening in March near spring break in order to make this happen. Now, the other thing is to help facilitate this, I think the NFL should bring back each team having multiple bye weeks Uh, with the weird schedules, the Tuesday games, then Sunday games, etc. It's going to wear a lot of players a lot more than a normal NFL season schedule already does. Now, the NFL did have two bye weeks up until 1993. It wasn't until 1994 the NFL went to the 16-game, 17-week, one-bye setup that they still currently use. But I like the idea of teams having multiple bye weeks and the NFL adding almost a month to the season in order to help facilitate better rescheduling of games to ensure player health and safety. All right. The Bills game is currently now scheduled for Monday. Which I guess is better, but that's one extra day on the flip side to prepare. Well, they were going to play. Well, obviously the back-to-back is impossible. That can't happen in the NFL. But now what they play on, what, Thursday and Monday? No, they played Tuesday of this week, Monday Monday of next week. They were originally scheduled to play Tuesday and Thursday of this week. That's not as bad, but it's still not the same kind of rhythm that players are used to and getting ready for the week. And if you talk to any former NFL player, and Shannon Sharp is really big about this, players have a very strict routine, almost to the point of superstition, and they hate not to follow it. And so I certainly think that when the NFL is doing all these crazy things with the schedule, It certainly impacts player performance. And I think in the long term of this season, it'll impact player health and safety. All right. Next is the New Orleans Saints are trying to bypass safety regulations set by the mayor to deny limited capacity at the dome. They've inquired to try to start using LSU's facilities to play their games in so they can have home team fans. It's not worth it. It's not worth it for the fans or the team. 
I think the NFL has been quite generous. They allow teams to pipe in about 70 decibels of sound, which is for those who kind of know how sound works, it's a little bit more quiet than an airplane's engines. So not exactly quiet. They can pipe in up to 70 decibels. I think, yes, fans make a difference, but you're if you're going to play outside at LSU's facility, the sound is not going to have the same impact it would inside the Superdome. I just yeah, don't think it's worth it. Fans I think all. the risk is always going to outweigh the reward here. All right. In coincidentally funny news, this Saturday's LSU versus Florida game has been postponed after an outbreak on the Florida football team. 21 cases amongst the players, additional cases amongst the staff member. The outbreak was so bad that Florida did not have 50 scholarship players available to play. The bare minimum they can play a game with is 53. Yeah, I mean, it's Florida. We talked about this. They don't take this seriously. The governor of Florida just allowed everyone to have fans at stadiums, four different events, full tilt. We know what this is. It's funny. Right before all of these positive cases, the head coach for Florida said that he wanted to start packing the stadium at full capacity. Right before the massive COVID outbreak on his team that has literally left them ineligible to compete. Yeah, we talked about this probably a few weeks ago when college and the NFL were both restarting. I don't think some college teams and some college conferences are going to survive in this year to have a full season or whatever they plan for. I can't trust 17, 18, 19-year-olds to follow all the protocols all the time to play these games. They're on campus. They're going to want to go to these parties. They, they want to sneak people into their dorm rooms, you know, whatever it may be. It's not going to work. The NFL, they can make it work because these are adults who are getting paid to follow these protocols and can get fined if they don't follow these protocols. Because of the way the NCAA is set up, that won't happen. And therefore, they're going to continue to see massive outbreaks among their teams, especially their teams who play in the southern part of our country. All right. Nick Saban has recently tested positive for COVID-19. Although he is currently asymptomatic, prayers up. Hopefully one of the coaching college greats ends up being fine. Now, on Wednesday, Atlanta Falcons rookie defensive tackle Marlon Davidson placed on the COVID list. That's the second person from the Falcons. Even the wings in Magic City is getting them. Lemon pepper, wet, 20 piece. Uh, It could be. I don't know. But like I said, the NFL is not doing enough. I would even argue they need to implement the outbreak protocol, so to speak. They have in place at like the Titans facility, the Falcons, et cetera, at every single NFL facility where they're doing both the daily testing and the rapid testing before you enter the facility because the different tests have different um, results sometimes the rapid test is less accurate so the best way to prevent this is to follow strict social distancing wear a mask whether you're in the facility 
And when you're on the sidelines for the games, they need a social distance as well. You know, I see players sitting together. I saw on Sunday watching the Cowboys game, literally all five receivers sitting shoulder pad to shoulder pad. I'm like, why? It's not. Why is that worth the risk? Like, I know you got to be around them, but there's enough room on an NFL sideline that you don't have to do that. If the NBA was able to figure out how not to have players sit next to each other in the bubble, the NFL certainly can. Interestingly enough, the NFL has just started to mandate that they test players on game day. Prior to this week, players were not tested on game day at all. And the NFL has just changed that. And the funniest part about the sidelines is that they are forcing coaches to wear a mask, but all of the players are packed in like sardines, no mask on the sidelines. And that's kind of like difficult because, you know, they sprint 20 yards, come off the field for the play. And then sometimes they're right back on the field. The next play, the off and on, off and on probably just isn't logistically possible. Well, the, the main thing is for the players, they could just social distance on the sideline and not wear masks. And this is true because when you're doing the, you know, I just got a 40-yard pass and I'm going to the sideline, guess what? When I get there, I'm breathing hard. And we all know that COVID spreads through respiratory droplets. So if anything, especially these NFL games that are played in, indoors in stadiums, like the Cowboys do, like the Saints do, then I think that is the perfect environment for spreading COVID and could certainly be where these outbreaks are starting. Welcome to our final segment, the heart of our show, Ballers Bouquets. Too often in the media, People only want to focus on the salacious and negative things that athletes are due, but we never want to give them their credit where credit's due. Yeah. So for this week's Ballers Bouquet, we want to circle back to a story that will feel like years ago for many, but is still the current lived reality for many in Northwest China's Xinjiang province, unofficially known as the Uyghur Autonomous Region. I believe at this point, it's common knowledge that the Chinese government in Beijing has fabricated stories of terrorism by Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang in order to send them to what they are calling re-education camps. In these camps, Uyghur Muslims are forced to eat pork, sing songs about being loyal to the Chinese Communist Party, families are torn apart, and children are sent to their own camps. Something as little as texting with the family member who is abroad could be enough for the Chinese government to send a Uyghur Muslim to one of these camps. Now, back in October of 2019, which feels like five years ago right now, Daryl Morey, the GM of the Houston Rockets, sent out a tweet condemning the behavior of the Chinese government toward protesters in Hong Kong. He received immediate backlash and so did the entire NBA Their games were pulled from Chinese television and the NBA eventually lost billions of uh, viewers and at least tens of millions of dollars in revenue from Chinese TV money. Now, a little bit earlier this month, the Utah Jazz Center Rudy Gobert 
shared his support for Uyghur Muslims on his Instagram page where he has been very socially active. He shared a post by French actor Omar Sy, I think I'm saying that right, about condemning the re-education camps. Now, Gobert is the first player to speak out on this issue or any issue regarding China since the, sh- the swift backlash that Daryl Morey experienced last fall. And on that post where he shared it, he had the caption, wrong is wrong. And I think it's absolutely great that Rudy Gobert would use his platform as a star player in the NBA and an international superstar to shine light and attention on this issue that is so important for many people who, for the most part, have not been in the news because other stories for the past year have taken precedence. I think it's always great, and I've said this before, for people to stand up for what is right when they have a lot to lose. That always means so much more to me. And I think it is fantastic that Rudy Gobert has done this. And for that, he's receiving this week's Ballers Bouquet. Now, I think it would be fantastic if everyone could always stand up for what is right, no matter the situation. And I think having something to lose is not always a reason not to do what is right because it is right. Now, I love these Ballers Bouquets. I love these stories. But sometimes it's a little bit hard to find coverage of the good things because, as we say, people like the salacious and the outlandish. And Rudy Gobert tweeting about re-education centers in China is not that. So what I would like is for all of our fans who listen every week, I thank you. And I ask that if you come across any story that you feel would fit for this segment, a feel-good sports story, Please share that with us on Twitter or Instagram. We look forward to interacting and engaging with you. And this week's Ballers Bouquet is for Rudy Gobert. And I'd like to give more to important people who are doing important work. They are our heroes. All right. That's it for episode six of the Fly Route Podcast. As always, we want to thank everybody for taking the time out of your days to listen. We appreciate you all so much. We always want to hear what you think. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at the Fly Route Pod, everywhere. You can get into some Facebook, Twitter beefs with me because Demarcus has been kind of soft on the internet lately. I'll be busy. But anyways, I want to thank everybody who's been listening as well. We really appreciate it. We have seen our numbers go up almost every single episode that we have published online. And as he mentioned, you can get us at the Flyer Out Pod on many, many websites, including Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But as we are getting more comfortable with this, we're getting, I think, I hope, better at this. We're going to be joining you in other avenues on social media and online. So keep a lookout for that.